Hey Center Ray Church, I'm Tara. And I'm Deidre. We're here to welcome you and give you some information to start off our gathering today. Hello to everyone joining us, whether you're watching live or joining us later in the week. And hello to any watch parties joining us live today. Also, a special welcome to any guests with us for the very first time. We can't say enough how happy we are that you're here. Over the next couple of minutes, we'll share some information with you that we trust will help you navigate and enjoy your first visit with us. It's definitely unique to visit a church online, we know that, um, but we hope you feel at home today. You can learn more about us on our website if you have more questions, uh, but for those of you who are hearing this every week, hang in there because this may help you as well. And there's also some new information each week. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're gathering live on Sunday, we encourage you to check out the tabs right on the online platform. You can share your information with us, which will just help us to follow up and get feedback from you. Also on the live platform, you can explore next steps and find previous messages. And if you call Centerway Home and would like an easy way to give, there's a tab to do that. During the gathering, if you have questions or would like prayer, just request prayer and one of our hosts will answer you privately in a separate chat. If you're watching or listening later in the week, many of the things I just mentioned can happen through our website. If you'd like to connect with us after this gathering, if you have questions, feedback, ideas, or if you just need prayer, please email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. Yes, please do. Uh, in addition to emailing us, you can also check out our social media and access the resources on our website. If you visit the messages page, you'll find all of our messages, including one that's just for kids. <laughs> well, they'll <laughs> sing some songs and hear a message just for them, and it'll actually be Tara sharing God's word with them. Uh, they'll be learning from the same scripture text that we do, so if you have kids in your home, you'll be able to discuss the application together, which is really great. Mm -hmm. Also on that page are resources related to the messages, like images that you can put on your devices, links to the Spotify playlist for the series, and access to our Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals. Um, if you'd like to receive the devotionals directly to your inbox instead of going to the website, you can subscribe on the Next Steps page. Now, before we wrap up, we want to remind you that next Sunday, April 25th, our typical schedule will be different. We will have an in-person gathering at 10 a.m. <laughs> and then for those that are ill or uncomfortable being in person, we'll host an online gathering at 6 p.m., just like we are right now. So there will be no online gathering at 10 a.m. The online will be at 6 p.m. and the in-person will be at 10 a.m. Our Centerway kids from pre-K through 6 will have their own space to gather, which we're so excited about. Mm. Two years and under are welcome to come and stay with their adults. We'll have an on-site kids check-in to ensure that your kiddos are only released to the person with their matching tag. Mm -hmm. Uh, the 25th at 10 a.m. is at a brand new location, and those details are on the calendar page of the website. We'll also update you on social media, and we've already sent out an email with the details. So if you haven't received that email, you may not be on our mailing list. So please share your information if you'd like to be. Thanks for being so flexible with us as we do our best to find spaces to meet together. Yeah, definitely. Now here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Mike will be reading the scripture text for us, Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then Deidre and I will close out the gathering with some ways to respond in worship. Right after that, you can join us live on Instagram or Facebook as a way to respond through song. Here's Mike with a text for today. Good morning, church. My name is Mike, and I'll be reading today's scripture. I'll be reading Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. 
Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Hello, my name is Claude. My wife Meredith and I are the lead pastors here at Centerway Church. Excited that you have the opportunity to be with us as we continue in our series, Greater Expectations. And this morning, the message is entitled, Saving. So Greater Saving Expectations. And uh, as you just heard the text read, um, I could give you a lot of examples when I start thinking about this idea of uh, saving and the idea of saving ourselves or being saved by someone else. Uh, one of the things that kind of comes to mind uh, immediately is an experience that I had while I was camping. I was camping with a, a group of friends. I was somewhere in the age range of about 10 to 12 years old. And uh, we were camping right on the, the shore of like a, a lake. And uh, we had decided that we'd go swimming in the lake. It was a really hot day. And so we went out and there was a log that kind of jutted out into the, the lake. And we were jumping off of that and we were all just swimming around. One of the guys that was with us uh, was super cautious and just sort of hanging back. And we're like, come on, get in the water, get in the water. And he's like, ah, I don't swim that well. And we're like, you'll be fine. He's like, no, I'm really nervous about it. Like, you'll be fine. If you're that nervous, put on a life preserver or something. And he's like, oh, I don't want to put on a life jacket. That's stupid. And I'm like, just put it on. Who cares? We're all just hanging out in the water. It's hot out. And so he's like, oh, all right, I'm, just, I'm really nervous. And so we're just kind of messing around. And I don't remember if we were throwing a ball or something, but something was kind of keeping us occupied. All of a sudden we turn around and this guy has one life jacket on and we had these life preservers from um, canoes that we had used to get there. And uh, he has another one <laughs> tied on one of his arms and he's asking if he if we can help attach the other one to his other arm. We're like, dude, what are you doing? How did you go from like not wanting to wear one at all to now you're trying to put them on every part of your body? <laughs> and he's like, well, I just figure if I'm going to put it on, then I might as well be safe. I, I just don't swim well. And I don't want to be nervous or anything. Like, you don't need a life jacket on every part of your body. He's like, listen, the more I have, the safer I'll be. <laughs> like, 
are you sure about that? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, dude, we're not going to mess around with those. All you need is one. Just come on out. And he's like, oh, I really don't swim good. And we're like, oh my gosh. And so again, we're just kind of playing around and stuff. Sure enough, we look over and he has five life preservers on, <laughs> life jackets on. He has one on normal. He has one that he's tightened around one arm, one around the other, one around each leg. And he's walking out into the water. And as he starts to walk out, they start to float on his legs and they kind of tip him to the side. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And one of our other friends just starts to kind of berate him. Like, listen, it's going to be more dangerous with those things on your leg. And he's like, I don't care. I'm just going to float around. I'm just going to float around and I'll be safe. And once I get used to it, maybe I'll take one or two of them off. Like laughing at him, just in disbelief. And he goes, well, nobody's going to be laughing when I'm the safest person in the lake. Like, okay. Like I'm standing up. The water is waist deep. He's like, no, no, no. So anyway, he walks out onto this log that's out into the water with all these stupid life jackets on and he jumps into the water. Well, it's kind of a good idea in concept in the sense that if he just wanted to float around, he could have effortlessly floated around with these five life jackets on if he had in fact landed on his back because it would have allowed him to float around. However, my friend, not really thinking things through, jumps in like you jump into the water on any normal given day, feet first, the, the um, life jackets kind of float, kick out, and he falls face first into this lake. And sure enough, he can't turn over. He's trying and he's writhing and he's kicking and it looks like the most horrifying scene you can ever imagine. Looking back at it, it was hysterical. But in the moment, we were horrified. We went swimming over, running over, like trying to get to him and we're trying to roll him over. And of course, now he's freaking out. So he's swimming and screaming and kicking and all that stuff. So we get him over on his back because it was the only thing we could do. He couldn't stand up. We get him on his back and he's coughing and coughing. He's like, get me out of here. Get me out of here. And so we pull him ashore like, dude. And he's like, what? I just wanted to be safe. I just wanted to be safe. I'll never forget it. The question I want to ask you as we move into the text this morning is this. Why do we accumulate? Why do we accumulate? Why do we think we need more of something? Why do we think we need more of something? I want to submit to you that we accumulate for one of two root reasons. And the root reasons are really attached to the illustration I shared today. The first root reason is that we want to find some sense of worth. We accumulate because we want some sense of worth. The second reason is because we want to find some sense of security. We accumulate in order to gain some sense of security. So the first that I want to tackle, why we try and find worth is, is really because we're attempting to find worth in the eyes of others. So I'll address the why in a moment, but we try to find worth in the eyes of others, whether it's neighbors, friends, coworkers, classmates, you name it, teammates, we're trying to get a sense of worth. And so if we have more of something, especially if we have more of a valuable something, then well, then naturally we must be more valuable. We must be worth something. And so we think if we have the bigger, the newer, the nicer, that in some way will we'll be worth something in the eyes of others. Why? Why is that? Is it just because we can? Because some people, I think, just kind of justify Like, well, I have, I have newer, nicer, better. It's just because I can. Because I can. No. I want to tell you that for some of us, 
We're trying to find a sense of worth. That's why. A sense of worth. If not from others, then maybe in our own eyes. If I just have bigger, nicer, better, more, then maybe I'm worth something more than I think. Now, if you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, that's not me. That's just not me. I I don't care about stuff, and I certainly don't care about what other people think. Well, then you fall into the other category. You accumulate to find some sense of security. You You don't need the newest, the biggest, or the nicest. You just don't want to go without. You just don't want to to go without, or you don't want those that you love to go without. Maybe you just want a sense of security, security for yourself, security for the people you love. That sounds better, doesn't it? It sounds like more noble. But the truth is, they're both variations of the same human condition. We want to find the answers to our greatest needs within ourselves and our own efforts. Let me say that again. We want to find the answers to our greatest needs within ourselves and our own efforts. We want to work out our own safety, our own sense of worth. And so we accumulate. As humans, we do it. We do it all the time. I gave two extreme examples, and maybe you embody one of those extreme examples on one end of the spectrum or the other. But I want to say probably for the, most of, for the majority of us, most of us kind of fall somewhere on that spectrum as humans, somewhere in between this idea of, of wanting a sense of worth and also desiring this sense of security and safety. Kind of like my friend, I need more because the more that I have of this thing, the safer I'll be. I can secure myself. I can be safe if I can just control my own reality. The problem is sometimes the things we turn to for safety are actually our downfall. It's weird how that works. We want to be our own saviors. It's the human condition. But we can't be our own savior. That's actually a false gospel. It's a false gospel that we fall victim to as humans. Listen, the greatest threat to the gospel is not our capacity to believe it intellectually or to to even um, believe that in some way the gospel can change us. No, the greatest threat to the gospel awakening our hearts and our minds is any false gospel that we speak to ourselves. Think about that for a moment. Christian or not, you don't have to be a Christian to be preaching a gospel to yourself. We all preach a gospel to ourselves every single day. Every single day, we talk about and we speak to ourselves about what will actually save us. I'll be transparent and give you an example in my own life. This past week, Meredith pointed out something in my life that didn't line up with the gospel. And she was right. I was wrong. It happens about one time a year. (laughs) I just wanted to make her laugh a little. She was right and I was wrong. And uh, I had something, I had said something uh, completely out of anger. I was hurt by something and in a moment of anger, I said something I shouldn't have said. And I should have admitted it just like that, right then. She pointed out, I should have said, you're right. I said that out of anger. I was hurt. I shouldn't have said it. I'm sorry but I didn't do that. Instead, I justified what I said. 
And it took me about an hour to finally come to the end of myself and to stop denying the truth and just come to the place to say, you're right. I need to change that. I shouldn't have said it. You know what I mean? And, and I know I'm kind of pointing at myself and made a light of it. But the fact is, we've all done that. We've all had these moments where, where someone is pointing out something in our life that is wrong. And yet, although we know that they are right and we are wrong, there's something inside of us that, ra- that rises up. Whether it's an interaction with a parent, a heated argument with a sibling, a coworker, a boss that we don't respect. We don't want to give them any ground. We don't want to tell them that they're right. There's this, this layer, this tension within us. Get this, a false gospel will always tell you that you're more righteous than you are. That's the essence of a false gospel. You are more right than everyone else realizes. And so fortify your position. It will always tell you that you're more righteous than you are. So let's review. We accumulate for a sense of worth or a sense of security or both. Revealing our attempts to be our own savior. And then when given the opportunity at every turn, we fortify that position by preaching a false gospel to ourselves. It sounds hopeless, right? I mean, is there any hope? Today's pericope or passage is about a man that like us has accumulated and thinks he's more righteous than he is. If you weren't with us last week, Jesus has just said that we must receive the kingdom of God like little helpless children. Now, anyone um, who understands exactly what he was talking about and realizes who this man is that comes to him, this person is someone who personifies the opposite of a helpless child on every level. In fact, we have to understand him a little bit better. And so I'm going to give you some quick context to understand this person that runs to Jesus. In the other Gospels, according to Luke, he actually refers to this man as a ruler. And Matthew actually refers to him as young. And so that's part of the reason why we have this, uh, what has been classified as a rich young ruler. So here we have a rich young ruler. And the question at face value is, will someone with great accumulation, with a great amount of wealth and prominence, be able to receive the kingdom of God like a little child? At face value, that's the question. But I want to tell you, it's far deeper than that. And it's far more profound than that. If we pick it up at verse 17, we pick up the story. And he, meaning Jesus, was setting out on his journey. And a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this powerful person of influence runs to Jesus, runs to him. Like, people didn't run in that society if they were people of prominence, you know. So that right off the bat shows a level of desperation. And what does he do next? He runs towards him and then he kneels. He kneels down and in this humble stance, he he acknowledges the authority that Jesus has. He kneels before him. So just so we're clear, we have a humility of a man that runs to God. It sounds like he's doing everything right. And then at face value, he asks a question that seems pretty valid. What must I do to inherit eternal life? To inherit eternal life. Keep dropping an N in there. Inherit. I'm saying inherent anyway. 
what must I do? Don't miss what's actually happening right here. He's asking how he has to work for eternal life. What is it that he can do? What can I do? Get this. He seemingly does everything right, but his theology is bad. His pursuit of God is works and performance-based. Listen, Jesus doesn't have a problem with this guy because of his wealth. He's addressing a root issue. Jesus addresses and responds to a root issue. He challenges his theology by asking him a question. So you'll see with me here in verse 18. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus is responding to him, not with his question based on eternal life, but instead addressing the root issue of his poor theology. Why would you call me good? In their society, the word that he uses for good is assigned only for God. And so he's, he's making clear, like, wait a second, you're, you're talking to me like I'm God. So Jesus is essentially saying, am I God or not? We'll see why he's asking that based on the response that unfolds. If, if Jesus is God, then there should be implications on how this man should respond to him and live. I mean, if Jesus is God, it should have implications on how we respond to him and the way we live. The text is asking the same of us. What will we do with Jesus? What is it that we will, will do with this person that claims to be God. Jesus is setting the foundation to reveal what gospel this man lives according to. You see, this text is about so much more than wealth, as I've already mentioned. It's about this core gospel belief and our capacity to preach and believe false gospels to ourselves. Verse 19 goes on and says, Jesus is continuing to speak. He says, you know the commandments. And then he goes into some of them. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Jesus goes through a list of some of the commandments. He masterfully uses the law as it was intended. You see, the law at that time was viewed as a way to behave. If you can behave according to the law, then you can earn right standing with God. But that's not what the law was intended to do. The law is intended to reveal the broken nature of humanity, for us to be aware of our sin nature that we could never measure up, that we always fall short. It shows humanity's shortcomings and inability to save ourselves. We can't be our own savior. Are you a good person? Have you behaved? Are you without sin? Verse 20. And he said to him, the rich young ruler responds, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. All of these I've kept from my youth. He totally misses it. He totally misses it. He basically says, I'm doing it. I'm earning it. I've got this thing. He's so wrapped up in his own sense of worth and his own security that he doesn't notice that Jesus actually skipped the first commandment. He skipped the first commandment as he went through the list. And now that's 
what he essentially asks him next. Verse 21, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. I love that. I love that in the midst of of this guy's confused theology and desire to earn his own salvation, that even in that moment, Jesus is expressing love and compassion for this man. And he said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. You see, at face value, people think that this is a tension of of his wealth, that he's not poor enough to be a follower of Jesus, but that is not what Jesus is addressing at all. You see, the first commandment is found in Exodus 20 verse 3, and it essentially says, have no other God before me. Have no other God before me. Jesus skipped the first commandment because the essence of the law is that no one gets past the first commandment. We all fall short right there. Have no other God before me. All of sin is a form of idolatry. It all flows from our heart to to say, listen, I'm going to worship and assign worth to something other than God. And so Jesus is, is showing him right here, listen, you've failed at the first commandment. This man was so spiritual and righteous, that he was in fact missing everything. He was preaching a false gospel to himself. And when it was challenged, he chose to continue to worship his idol of wealth. What's your idol today? What's the thing that, that you're assigning worth to above God? What is it that you, that you worship, that you elevate above all else? What or who are you worshiping? instead of God. Because that's the deeper root issue that's being addressed in this text. If you believe that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, do you live according to that gospel? Does that wreck you? Does the true gospel that Jesus came and laid down his life for you while you were still a sinner, does that wreck you? Does the grace that he extends towards you cause you to extend grace towards others? As you're forgiven, do you forgive others? Are you a steward of his time, talent, and treasure entrusted to you? Listen, wealth isn't bad. Unless it's about prosperity and accumulation and it becoming your priority. When it becomes an an idol, when you begin to elevate prosperity and wealth above God himself, then it has become an idol and it is in its improper place. Make no mistake This is not a text against wealth. It has general application to every single one of us because we all want a sense of worth and a sense of security. The point is, if it's not wealth, as a human, something occupies the place in your life that only God should have. Is it your job? Car? House? Sports? kids. These are all good things, but they shouldn't be ultimate things. What is it that you've made an ultimate thing? For this man, it happened to be wealth. So money was the center of his identity. What's the center of yours? Get this. This should be unsettling for those of you that profess to be Christ followers. You can be a model Christian. Run to God. Humble yourself before him. You can do all the right things and still be missing it all 
as an idolater. Feels hopeless, right? It's like just levels and levels of hopelessness. You know, the disciples felt the same way. They felt a sense of hopelessness in this situation and in this moment. They actually get what Jesus is saying. One of the very few times in Mark up until this point where they connect the dots and they're realizing what Jesus is saying and how hopeless their situation is. In verse 26, we pick up their response. The disciples, and they were exceedingly astonished. And he said to him, and they said to him, Jesus, they said, then who can be saved? If this is the case, if, if this is the situation and the circumstances, if we're all idolaters, then who can be saved? Listen, the kingdom of God turns the value system of this world entirely on its head. People can look right and act right, but be missing it altogether. God looks at the heart. The truth is we cannot do enough good to inherit eternal life. We cannot do enough good. We can't earn it. We can't save ourselves. And so verse 27, we have Jesus' response. Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Let me read it again. Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible. Things are hopeless, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Wait, so it is impossible for me to save myself, but God can save me? How? How? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says something. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus was the perfect and actual rich young ruler that didn't come down to the earth and step into time for his own benefit, but rather laid his riches aside and became poor so that we could be rich. Not material things, not with material things. In context, the Apostle Paul is talking about Christians blessing others as a steward of what it is that has been entrusted to them by God. So unlike the rich young ruler in this text, Jesus actually fulfilled every letter of the law. He actually lived the sinless, perfect life that you and I could not. And then he in turn died the death that you and I deserve. He did that which is impossible for us. You can't save yourself. Jesus is the Savior. That's the true gospel. You see, it's not about wealth at all. It's about idolatry. It's about greater saving expectations. I cannot save myself, but Jesus is our Savior. The thought that following Jesus means you'll be wealthy is simply another false gospel. We've, we've heard this time and time again from the text, if you've been around it, but it's simply another false gospel. The evidence can be as obvious as the, the earthly poverty of the apostles. The gospel is not about something as trivial and earthly, as temporal as prosperity. 
God will provide and meet our needs. But he didn't die on a cross and rise again so that we could accumulate, right? So that we could accumulate in order to stabilize our sense of worth or in order to what? Find some security apart from him. Let me ask you this. What gospel do you preach to yourself? What is the gospel that you're preaching to yourself day in and day out? Do you allow your feet to hit the ground every morning and communicate the truth of the gospel to your soul, to your heart and mind? Just realize that that you and of yourself cannot save yourself. It's an act of God's grace towards you. What gospel do you preach to yourself? What lie about your worth and your security are you believing? Because that's the root. The root is, is a lie about our worth and about our security that we can find our sense of worth and security apart from God. So we say every week that the text requires something of us. And I want to ask you a question, an application for you to consider this week. This is the question I want you to contemplate. Where do you need to replace a lie with truth? Where do you need to replace a lie with truth? For some of you today, the lie is that you can be your own savior. And you've lived your life to that end. And you feel the emptiness of it the cycle, the brokenness of it, the ups and the downs and, and the void. If that's you, you, you know what I'm talking about. For you, replacing that lie with the truth that only Jesus can save you begins by simply praying a prayer, asking him to be the Lord and leader of your life. It's as simple as a prayer. I'll, I'll pray, I'll give you a, a variation of it, but it doesn't have to be this specific wording, wherever you find yourself right now, whether you're watching live or after the fact, you can pray a prayer, something like this. Lord, I am a a sinner, but I know you died for my sins. Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. Can be that simple today. In fact, if you are with us live and you prayed that prayer or some variation of it, we'd love to talk to you about your next steps. If you would just click on the request prayer link on the live platform, it'll put you in a private chat with one of our hosts and we can talk to you about the next steps. If you're watching or listening to this later, you can reach out to us via email um, or on our website. We'd love to walk alongside you. For others of us that have already crossed that line of salvation, I want to challenge you to consider what lie you need to replace with truth in a different way. What gospel lie are you believing? What thing has become your God that you obsess over, that you rise up above what it is that God has called you to do, the mission he's called you to live on? Is it wrapped up in temporal lies? Do you believe that you have to find a sense of worth? Do you believe that you have to find a sense of security outside of the security that Jesus provides? What idol are you worshiping? I want you to contemplate that this week. And if you're a person that wakes up every morning and asks the Lord to reorient your heart and mind and goes throughout the day communicating the, the true gospel to your heart and mind, I want to challenge you to consider what the implications of this text are in the area of a, of a missional context. If you're already in the rhythm of resetting your heart and mind, what does it look like for you to be on mission to come alongside others, to reach other people, spiritual conversations, an invitation to engage in truth with you. 
I don't claim to know exactly what it looks like for every single one of you, but I know that the text requires something from all of us. So let's just pray and consider what it is that maybe we need to replace with truth this week. Where do we need to replace a lie with truth? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask you to to search our hearts. Lay bare the areas of our lives um, that maybe we even insulate from ourselves. The areas where we've elevated things and we've justified them. We've, uh, We've elevated things to the wrong place. Lord, where you should be first, we've engaged in lesser things, in temporal things or even in our own intellect, in our own ability to try to figure something out. God, we just, we lay all that at your feet. And we ask that you would do what only you can do, what is impossible for us, that you would truly be our savior and that you would set us free for your glory and our joy. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Excited to be with you again next week as we continue in our series, Greater Expectations. See you then. That was a great week eight of this series. It's so good to hear the word together and there's always a way to apply the text. So take time this week to evaluate what gospel you're preaching to yourself. Where do you need to replace a lie with the truth? That's so good. Creating space to grow in God really is worship and we're excited for what God will do this week. Another way that you can worship is through song and if you're gathered live, that's a way that we can worship together. If you're connecting at another time, you can still worship by singing along with a video posted on Facebook and with the songs on Spotify. Just search for Centerway Church and look for the Greater Expectations playlist. Mm-hmm. And for those gathered on the online platform, we'll see you live on Facebook or Instagram in just a few minutes. <laughs>